Hey guys, welcome to the Every Plant Story podcast. My name is Shane. I'm here with Zach. Hello, hello. Zach, you are new to the team. Uh, you joined the team in January here full time. You've worked um, on different videos and stuff with me in the past, um, but you joined the team full time. Is that right? In January? Yeah, yeah, January. And I, uh, I can't be more excited. I've been, like you said, I think I did the first, like the every Saturday sale. It was one of the first videos. Yeah, yeah I the did. second Saturday. Yeah, second Saturday first videos I did with you guys and uh just seeing you guys grow and obviously my brother Wesley has been with you guys for a while yeah Wesley so. on the inventory team or yeah. as, as many of the people unboxing plants would know Wes because that's how he signs his name on the cards oh yeah those Pokemon cards yeah exactly they but, gotta collect them all oh yeah but yeah I'm excited to uh be part of the team and just create and it's gonna be good and honestly I one of the things I loved most about Gabriella the entire time was like the storytelling aspect I've always, you and I have worked together before Gabriella Plants on different video projects. We both have that like, you know, eye for the camera and, and that creative mind. So mm-hmm. um, it's always been the thing I like the most, but I also realized that like in so many other ways, there's only so much I can do. And uh, it's really great to have people like you on the team. Uh, Sam would also normally be with us on the podcast as the co-host, um, but he is out um, sick this week. Um, had a procedure done, so we wish him the best and we hope a speedy recovery. We did hear from him today and he hopes you guys are all doing well and he can't wait to be on episode two. Last uh, bit of housekeeping for the, the podcast. This is episode one. Obviously, I released some of the, uh, the trailers and stuff that um, we released earlier, but uh, this is the official episode one, which means this is being recorded at Aloma for the first time. So a lot of the live streams are done before. We're always in either my bedroom, most of the, or not my bedroom, uh, the my office at my house, um, at least at my residence. And we have tried to do a live stream. Um, this was long before your time uh, mm. and a failed attempt at that. But we did try to uh, we did try to do a live stream in the greenhouse at the time. Uh, we learned we need better Wi-Fi in the the greenhouses. So uh, we did make those improvements, but it's really cool. Um, This is our second location now. Can you believe it? I mean, mean, obviously you're coming in at second location. You primarily work here at Aloma. Um, Mm -hmm. And I mean, even just over the, like the holiday break, I mean, seeing it first coming in here for the first time, you know, it was layout. This room's going to be this, this is this, this is this. And then literally like three weeks later, I show up and it's all there and there's photos on the wall because Miriam did a my wife did a fantastic job with those oh yeah those final touches too yeah it's all those minor details that really just kind of like it has a nice homey and just kind of good feel to it yeah it's really great so Aloma will be our um, primary shipping facility in 2021 Um, we were getting to the point where our team especially with our anticipated growth over the coming year we were really getting to the point where straight honestly we just couldn't park any more cars at the single location so we're, we're we're happy to have a second location one that's a lot easier for the logistics of shipping and also provides us with the office space um, for all the other jobs like getting to storytell with this podcast getting to produce videos and stuff speaking of videos one of the people i am most excited zach for you to film i bet you have a guess but Maybe. Do you have a guess? You don't uh, say it, I've, but do you, do you yeah, have a guess? I'm not, not going to drop it yet. All right, yeah. all right. I've, I've, I've been You were looking uh, at me like running, you didn't have... You I've were looking at me like names. you didn't have a... Oh, no. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be unprepared. I mean, okay, okay. That's what I thought. Um, that's how I know you. But uh, speaking of that, though, and all the new additions, um, we also have our guest with us today, uh, Brett Weiss. He is now the head grower of Gabriella Plants, but before that, he studied um, in... 
he studied, he got his bachelor's in agriculture science, specifically with agribusiness and horticulture. He also had received multiple different advanced or technical diplomas um, from things like greenhouse management. Um, and his previous employment was being a wholesale broker, which I know is dear, near and dear to my heart. I know Sam, if he was here, would also have uh, that. For those of you who don't know, Gabriel Plants used to be a wholesale grower. That's what my dad spent his life kind of building in my backyard. And it wasn't until late 2019 that we started doing Gabriella Plants direct to consumer. And now we don't really do so much wholesale, but I met Brett through that. Um, and ever since, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Welcome, Brett. Thank um, you. For the first Thank time. you. Glad yeah. to be here. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong. That's how we met. And yep. it was pretty much as soon as Gabriella Plants started that I was like, <laughs> hey, so <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> exactly. It's been a long time. (laughs) A long time in the making. Yeah. I'm glad to finally be here. Very excited. I'm so glad you're here. And I think uh, the whole team uh, just been, I've heard nothing but good feedback from you. Thank you. Uh, And you're a great example of, both of you are great examples of people who have knowledge and expertise far better than me in the things you guys now do. So I'm really excited about what you're going to be able to bring to the, bring to the table, Brett. Big Um, things, big things ahead. Big things, always growing more, that's for sure. So, before we get any further, though, I do have, um, I want to get to know Brett a little bit more. All right, I want you to have a a chance to introduce yourself. Who is Brett? Oh, well, um, I would describe myself as a human covered in plant tattoos, uh, living the plant lifestyle. Um, Plants are what I do. It's what I've always done. Um, that should really be at the top of the resume. I, I, I don't know about you, but yeah, forget all of the other stuff. Yeah, just, yeah. just do that. <laughs> That's the best description of Brett I've heard in a minute. Basically. Yeah. Basically a human who does plant things. Um, I've always done plants. Uh, it's what I do. Wake up, do plant things, go to sleep, dream of plant things, wake up and do more plant things. Exactly. Yeah. And repeat. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, what, um, what, what first got you into plants? Uh, the story I like to tell, um, and excuse me if I get emotional, um, my my mom helped me with this, and uh, she really fostered this, uh, this love for plants that I have to this day. Um, but I'm sure we can all relate. Uh, when I was in pre-K, we did the very first uh, kind of intro to plant experiment. Um, I'm sure a bunch of you did the same thing when you were little, uh, where you get a little Dixie cup. And you fill it with a little bit of soil and oh, you get the yeah, seed yeah, yeah, yeah. and you do the whole, uh, the whole life cycle, of the plant, you know, photosynthesis and you, you learn about, you learn about all that. And, uh, the one seed I had in my, in my little Dixie cup was a, uh, was a pumpkin seed. And so it sprouted, you know, after the week, having it under the grow light in the, in the classroom. And so, um, took it home. And at the time my mom and I were living in a little apartment in, uh, in New York and we didn't have a backyard, but there was a hill um, next to the apartment complex there. And, you know, very easily we could have taken it inside and, you know, set it on a windowsill and it probably would have died. And, you know, who knows if I'd be sitting here with you. But uh, instead, she fostered that and um, we took it and we put it outside on, on the hill. And that fall, um, that pumpkin grew into a, a pretty large pumpkin patch and we harvested 24 oh, wow. pumpkins from 24 that. 24 pumpkins. I mean, they weren't huge. They now weren't please, any award-winning pumpkins. Now, but. please tell me your teacher just gave you straight A's for the rest of the year. <laughs> if, like You were the one kid who had that homework assignment and then you came back and you're like, guess what? I got 20-something watermelons. I don't or not know. watermelons, pumpkins. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. I don't know if we got A's in pre-K, but um, if you we did... You definitely got an A in yeah, pre-K. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> at, at, at least a gold star or something. Your teacher's bringing you aside in pre-K like, okay, so 
one day you'll learn, but the A plus, <laughs> you don't really get the pluses very often, but like you get an A plus on this one. And so sure. being, being little five-year-old Brett, you know, after seeing that one seed grow and, you know, producing those 24 little pumpkins kind of like blew my little kid mind and was like, whoa, plants. And so from there, it was just always, it was just always plants. And my mom really cultivated that in me. That's I'm awesome. very thankful. That's awesome. It's so cool to see how like people are either how they first got into it. You know, obviously now there's a lot of people who's like friends are the ones that bring them into it. But right. yeah, for a lot of a lot of people. Yeah. It's, I mean, my grandparents always had I wrote it a long time ago, but like I was either my I was always around plants in one of two different ways. And I kind of ping pong back and forth as I went through life, but I was either in grandpa's vegetable garden. So I totally feel you on the pumpkins. <laughs> Although grandpa wasn't, I don't, to this day, I don't understand why Florida is Sandy. I don't understand why he thought he was going to have better odds, like <laughs> planting directly into the ground. Eventually we started to get like compost delivered, but yeah, it takes a lot of work to get Florida oh, sand yes. to actually be nutritious, but um, it was either there or in the greenhouses, you know, so that's where I spent my entire life. So it's, it, but it's cool to see that at early ages. Cause I think it's really important to how, people develop. I mean, if you think about it, a plant is a tiny little micro microcosm of like what real life is like. Exactly. You can definitely kill it. Exactly. You can do the things to make it succeed. Um, and you can also have it succeed, but not be super prosperous. You know, well, it, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's a good point because I don't know what was so special about the soil there in New York, because when I was five, we planted that one seed and I got 24 pumpkins. But let me tell you, I've tried to grow pumpkins before, like after that. And you I never was, got the magic back. Nope, was not as prolific. <laughs> I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say it's the five. I'm gonna say it's the five year old hands. I'm gonna say the five year old green thumb was stronger than the six year old. Oh thumb, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I think for sure. Well, do you have any pets? I do have pets. Um, I have a cat. Her name is Flora. Kind of goes with the plant theme. Yeah. Um, I'm, 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 I, <laughs> she I, is. It, what, what listeners can't see right now is not only the tattoos all over his body comment, but he's also just wearing the most beautiful. Florida t-shirt it looks like a Florida t-shirt but it doesn't have buttons so it's not an official dad <laughs> it can't be a dad shirt but it's can't just go got can't go golfing in it yet bird of paradise monsteras and it's so colorful anyhow continue sorry I just need to paint the visual picture yeah, of like uh, yeah bird of paradise hibiscus heliconia looks like Calathea vitata which is pretty interesting but so a floor is my kitty she's wonderful um and then i do have a couple reptiles uh houdini is my male veiled chameleon um he is uh free range meaning he's not in a cage so really yeah he does he lives on a couple ficus trees i have against the window um and i have you know a little waterfall set up for him and uh he's pretty good about staying there i did find him in the kitchen um one time last week Uh who knows how he got there but so you don't lose him often. He just kind of I mean, chills there. Stepping on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Besides, I mean, besides him somehow getting to the kitchen, he he's pretty content with his. He lives in Alorada, so mm. yeah, he, yeah. Li- he likes that ficus tree. And then I have, um, I have a couple other lizards. I have a green keeled bellied lizard. His name is Surge. He does live in a vivarium setup that I have for him. Oh, that's um, awesome. I have a gecko, and then I do have four freshwater uh, aquariums. Um, with fish and invertebrates and things like that. I think I've seen that once before, but somehow I, I that never registered in my memory. So that's news to me. I totally <laughs> forgot that you even had fish tanks lots on top of, of yes, everything else. Lots of fish tanks. Yes. Oh my goodness! And all the fish. How tanks. do you do it all? How do you water all? How do? You- that is a perpetual uh, question <laughs> I have for myself. Is I am just always doing plant things. Um, and I, I'd like to 
point out that the fish tanks do have plants in them. They are live plants and they are, you know, underwater aquatic plants. Wow. So, now, so do you have the, the fish tank more for the aquatic plant or more for the fish or what, mm, what came first? That's a good question. I would say the that goldfish or the aquatic plant. The plants came first. Plants came first. Interesting. Yeah, like might as well throw some fish in here. Exactly. Like, well, it's an ecosystem. Then exactly. they, then they, you know, go to the bathroom and there's fertilizer for the plant. Exactly. Yeah, it's a nice little cycle of life right there. Um, at my last apartment, one of the fish tanks I had never had a filter in it, so it was completely self-sustained. Wow. So, That's you know, cool. being able to uh, get that cycle down, you know, with the fish and the plants and I've, the light and everything. Is, I've played around with hydroponics once or twice, but like the aquaponics, like adding the fish into it just makes so much sense to me. Exactly. Like just with how how many chemicals man tries to just make up to like do something that you could just put the other living organism that knows how to do that process in it. And there you go. Exactly. I don't know. I've always thought that that's a really cool thing. I hope I get to experiment more. Maybe we'll get into that. Maybe one point. day. Maybe yep. one day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, more, uh, more ways to, for people to know more about you. Um, you told us how you got into plants. You told us about your pets. Um, you told us who bread is. What else should people know about you? Um, that, I mean, I've been doing plants, like I said, since five, but since then I've been learning more and more and more and have really devoted myself to trying to understand and get a better idea of all of the plants in the world. Um, I was just reading a study that, uh, Royal Botanic Garden of Q, um, put out that there's a uh, little less than 400,000 plants in the world. Wow. Um, and so, I mean, some days I wake up and I think that I know a lot about plants and I mean, I did, I went to college and I got four years of, you know, professional schooling in plants. But when that number is kind of thrown out there, it kind of makes me rethink like how much do I really know? And so the, the goal is to try to, you know, one day feel like I, I have a better understanding of a lot of those groups. I feel like every year, I mean, even just since the time that Gabriel has been, obviously when we started paying attention online, so I wasn't as privy to information before, you know, really learning about the internet of plants. Um, but the, um, the speed at which science is reclassifying things and exactly. it, it, it doesn't surprise me that there's that many, and there's, a good chunk of that probably is not even discovered. I mean, right. so it's so, not even like there's a, a paper you can go read on that plant yet. There's a lot out there. Right. So the, um, that study did, you know, specifically point out that the known plants of the world are a little less than 400,000, but there are still, so they think approximately 20% of the plants in the world have yet to be discovered. So that 400,000 doesn't include everything oh, that we don't know yet. Goodness. Oh, wow. Holy! Now you, you were saying something the other day about how many was it philodendrons or there was some, another statistic you had. Uh, I don't want to put you on the spot, but no, no. Um, I know what you're what you're getting to. Um, shout out to my friend Mick Mittermeier. Um, him, him and his uh buddy Justin 2020 um have uh put out uh publications on ten new species of monstera just in 2020. Wow! So, just in one year. Just in one year during the pandemic. So um I mean. That That's is impressive. It, I'll let that speak for itself. Yeah. There's still so much out there. That's incredible. So moving on, though, um, obviously, I've been trying to recruit you to join Gabriella Plants for a while. As you, Zach, I've also, I mean, it's been a while. Oh, yeah, coming it's been for, years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Yeah. But over, what, over a year in the making. Yeah, for sure. Which is, <laughs> makes me smile right now, um, among so many other things. But uh, your why? Why GP? Well, 
I enjoyed what I did before this as a wholesale plant broker, um, being able to, you know, get my customers rare, unique, top quality tropical plants and then being able to sell them to the end consumer and having the end consumer, you know, be excited about these plants that I was getting out into, you know, into cultivation out into the market was fun. Um, but at the end of the day, it was an office job and I was, you know, working nine to five in an office and then coming home and working 5.30 to midnight on my own personal plants, you know, doing soil things, doing plant things, watering, all that. And, and people should have seen, I maybe maybe <laughs> we'll make, well, maybe we'll embarrass you one day in the behind the scenes group or something, but like you never went down to his front yard, did mm-hmm. you? No. no. Okay. So you're missing out. Your entire <laughs> house, I've uh, never been to an experience that unique. Yeah. To, I, for the people who, who don't know, um, my original apartment when I moved to Florida was called the Vivarium and uh, Google Maps did um, verify it as a botanic garden. And so uh, I, really? I did. Yeah, I did have people come, you know, in the evening or uh, on the weekends to come and, you know, look at plants. And I didn't charge admission. I really just wanted to be able to teach people, you know, and excite people. Um, but easily over easily over a thousand plants. For sure. That's crazy. Anyhow, (laughs) so you were always doing plants, but you were working the desk job. Exactly. And I mean, end of the day, I, I like to get dirty. I like to be, you know, with the plants, um, all the time doing that type of things, doing the cultivating. And so, uh, you know, when Shane approached me over a year ago with this opportunity, uh, I told him, you know, when the time is right, I'll, I'll look into it and, uh, you know, towards, probably spring of 2020, especially with pandemic happening and everything. I was like, you know, it'll be really good for me if I could, if I could get up there and be with the plants. And so that's why GP. Yeah. And you're, you're our head grower now. You're in the greenhouse only, only a couple days under your week, couple weeks under your belt, but everything I've seen already organization increasing. First week has been amazing. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's so cool to see. It's always a good sign that you've hired somebody right when the only thing you can hear when you try to ask somebody how their day went was how great Brett was. Like, <laughs> uh, that, that to me speaks volumes of, uh, of, of what people think of you. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited to learn too. And I think that that's, I mean, Zach, that's kind of part of this podcast. I mean, the every plant story podcast and the every plant has a story theme for 2021 for us is exactly what we're doing right here. Yeah. Was hearing from growers. And I hope to do a lot more of that. We have a lot, of uh, people lined up throughout the rest of the spring and in season one. So stay tuned for that. But what every plant person wants to ask every other plant person, inevitably when they get to the 21 minute mark in the episode or whatever minute mark this is now, uh, what's your favorite plant and followed by what's your least favorite plant. And I always hate that it's asked in the pair of that question, (laughs) but I had to make it consistent. That is the pair, both your favorite and your least favorite. All right, so bringing those numbers back that I mentioned, with there being a little less than 400,000 plant species in the world, and now let me iterate there that that's species, so that doesn't include all of the cultivars. So there's Or if yours is doing something kind of funky. Exactly, the the mutations and the things like that. So with there being a little less than 400,000 species in the world, to ask me my favorite plant is like a, a, almost a daunting question. Um, so I like to break it up into, you know, a couple sections. So I'd say at least currently my favorite aeroid um, is going to be a Midrium zipilianum. It's also my newest tattoo. Um, okay. okay. So it's a it's an aeroid um, related to Monstera and Philodendron, but from a different part of the world. It's from the Asian part of the world. 
Um, and so it is a viner um, and a creeper. And so they'll produce long tendrils to try to find areas that they can climb up and then, you know, kind of wind through the tree canopy, which is very cool. To get to the top or? Um, there's a couple different speculations. It could be just to kind of get the biggest area um, for production purposes just to, I mean, because plants don't move i'm air quoting as much um but you know when you can put out a 20 foot tendril in a matter of a week that does oh kind of give it you know uh, you said one week yeah that Holy that's a cow. zach that's a bad movie right yeah <laughs> like that's that, that like that's just a good 80s a like, takeover yeah. right <laughs> right like uh, you left on vacation you parked your car in the wrong spot and then then just up to moved it if it can do that in a week 20 feet in a week it's approximate, but yes, oh. with the right conditions. Yeah, and it sounds so, like a Goosebumps book. Yeah, I'm, yes. not, I'm not about that. I, <laughs> I do not want to see the coming attractions for that one. I mean, I do. I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll plug my ears. And so um, I'd say, yeah, that's my favorite aeroid right now. And I do like that plant because it comes in a, diff- a couple different forms. I do have a variegated form and I do have a silver form, um, which is pretty cool. Wow. That are growing. What causes the-, the different forms? Uh, I think mutations just um, over time, just over time, but I'm pretty sure those two specific mutations were naturally occurring. They weren't like created in a lab or anything. They were kind of found and then cultivated, um, which is pretty cool. Heck yeah. And also also unique for the plant to be able to, you know, create or adapt something like that. Um, there, there are different, a couple different, uh, speculations as to why a plant may become silver. Um, it may be due to, uh, be able to take on higher or lower light levels, things like that. Um, so for a plant to be able to adapt and then, you know, work with that is pretty cool. Oh, and then uh, least favorite plant. All right. So I was going to say, he was just trying to, he was just trying to get he, us with the half almost, price. Dance. Almost, right, right, got right. Almost, almost got out of it. Almost got out of it. Oh, well, you know what? You know what? I said that was the one section. So um, I'll go back to favorite plant. I do also really enjoy. Cla- see, he's still on answer I, the I, second I know, half. I know. <laughs> do you see this? It's hot. Don't tell the other plants when I when I get to the least favorite. Plants, oh, they can't don't hear tell this. them. <laughs> they can't hear. It. They don't. They don't have Siri or Alexa or anything like that. I thought we were going to be broadcasting this through the greenhouses for all the plants here. I mean, well, isn't that the like whole goal of this? We'll have to talk afterwards because uh, <laughs> there's a little bit I need to bring in the fold for. It. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I do. That really- would be funny though if like we just made everyone at Gabriella listen to only Gabriella content. People would hate us more than anyone else. That's awesome. Go uh, ahead though. Second I, favorite. I, yep. Second. I, favorite plant before we get to the favorite least. types of plants. I do. I do really enjoy caudicoforms. So for. Uh, layman's term would be a plant that kind of has like a swollen succulent type of adaptation so like uh euphorbias and madagascar palms um things that kind of get that thick uh swollen trunk those are pretty cool now why 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 does that occur not not i don't need a long we'll have to have you back a million times on this podcast Um, because there's a million things i could go into again it's another evolutionary adaptation a lot of them come from very arid dry regions so it's a method of water water yeah water preservation to be able to go those long dry periods of time um you know without rainfall and things like that Um, i never would have connected all those in the same because obviously florida you're around a lot of palms and the ponytails and the different things that have those trunks. And I, I would have put two and two together that the reason for that is because Florida can be wet. It can be somewhat dry because the sand just doesn't hold anything in the summertime. Right. But I wouldn't have put it in the same classification as some of those other plants, which people tend to think of as pretty small plants. You know, you don't think of right. those as having a trunk. 
Well, and going off of what you said, and I'm making up this percentage, but I'm going to estimate that about 90% of the plants that you see here in the Florida landscape that you do kind of just uh, connect Florida and plants with aren't actually native to Florida. Um, a lot of the landscape plants have been brought in from air other areas. So when you, you know, you use those types of plants as an example for something, this isn't where they're naturally from, that mm -hmm. this isn't the location that they would have evolved or adapted those specialized abilities for. Right. And you can tell the, uh, the counties in the state of Florida that know or have a horticultural person on their team or not, because you can tell <laughs> the people who have the stuff living in the center median is living not because they did a better job planting it, but because they planted the right thing right. that can actually withstand it. You see a lot of, especially down south, a lot of, yeah, the rose bushes aren't going to have a problem. You're like, okay, that's not really how, <laughs> that's not really how like this works, but thanks. Uh, that's, that's interesting though. What least favorite? All right. One more. Well, one more favorite. Oh my God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. One more favorite. I love it. I, I love it. I'm not going to tell I you gotta, I got to love epiphytes. Um, epiphytes are things that can live kind of, uh, again, air quote, in the air. Um, so they don't need as much soil or, or media. So things like air plants, tillandsia, orchids. I love orchids. Um, things like that that have also, and I guess the theme through all three of these favorites are these plants that do have these unique specialized adaptations. That's just really interesting to me um, that they've, uh, you know, formed these abilities to survive and not only survive, but thrive in, in their specialized situations. Um, all right. So now I thought I had, I had to think about this uh, for my least favorite. And I was asked this in orientation earlier this week and I did, I did throw some houseplants under the bus and I'm going to stay away from that. Um, and I, I mean, that's what people want, but I respect the fact that you don't want to do that. But, <laughs> I mean, that's what people want. They want you to throw something under the bus. Growing, um, growing up in New York and uh, in the Northeast, I will say that probably some of my least favorite plants are going to be some of those deciduous trees. I do despise oak trees. Um, and find the first word you use that I won't try to. Oh, deciduous. Deciduous is a tree or a plant that will lose its leaves periodically through the year. Um, but so an annual plant is something that's going to grow and then die all the way back down. Deciduous tree is something that is going to grow, produce leaves, drop its leaves in fall or winter as a, again, method to kind of conserve, um, you know, conserve life and, uh, growth and whatnot and almost basically go dormant like hibernation mm -hmm. um and then we'll still uh again the following spring produce leaves again so now that i just like to point out to you zach is exactly why brett's on the team i was just like hey there's a <laughs> word i didn't understand will you please tell me what that means and he was just like i'd happily do it and he did it with a smile on his face but anyhow you were setting up the one that you hate the most are, yeah, are those so, types so oak trees um oaks and like beaches are are both deciduous trees that oh i thought you said you hate the beach and i'm like you how can the you wrong <laughs> state how to can, move yeah you pick you live in florida right <laughs> So uh, the, those types of trees, and I think also maybe just growing up with them and seeing them everywhere and, uh, and the acorns falling and stepping on the acorns and uh, all of those types of things. I'm, I'm not a fan of those trees. If you want me to throw a houseplant under the bus... But is that houseplant? You're saying you're throwing a tree under the bus. That doesn't even answer the question, okay, dude. What okay. am I supposed to do with that? Um... Very, very popular, very popular, very easy plant. I'm not going to say that they're not 
awesome plants in their own right, especially... Okay, they're not listening, Brett. The plants aren't listening right now, I promise. Okay, I, I'm going to say pothos. I really don't like the golden pothos. It's just... It's in every office. It's it's dying slowly in every corner in some you know dental office. That's probably it's, why it bothers you most. Because I've always felt the same way. But <laughs> you know you want to know mine, and I, I I'm the same way. I've always dodged this question, especially on the live streams and stuff. And if I had to pick something, I'd pick something that I was just particularly ticked off that week at growing. You know what I mean? Right. Like just whatever had <laughs> failed on me that week was the thing I hated next. Yeah. Uh, but the one thing that I would say that I don't really like in house plants is spaths. For the same reason. Valid. They only ever look good for a two-week period of time. And I've never... And I think it is traumatizing to... As somebody who loves plants, as both <laughs> of us do. I mean, even Zach, you like plants too. But you walk past a plant that's like visibly needs something in front of you. It, it is painful yes. to walk past. Like, it is very painful to walk past that. Now, I will... I will... Um input here that when I say I don't like golden pothos, that is the plant known as Epipremnum aureum golden. Um, that is not uh, saying anything negative about there is actually an aeroid genus known as pothos, and those plants are very, very cool. Um, Wait, so the pothos name is misapplied? Yes. It I is, always knew it that is pothos a was a short, f- short form. I always knew that like we were using pothos in substitute of what this proper oh, science this name, but, be... I didn't, but I didn't know that that's actually mind blowing. I didn't yeah, know this, that pothos. We can actually, do a whole nother whole okay, other podcast that, yeah, on this. Uh, um, but we'll just have pothos pod. There's lots <laughs> of there's lots of plants that are currently in the uh, house plant trade that go by misnomers, um, and it goes back to basically when the plants were originally found um, in the wild and brought into cultivation. You know, whether it was the 1700s or 1800s, there was a lack of. Uh, botanical knowledge or education at the time and so they thought that oh well this looks like a pothos we're gonna call it a pothos because that's what we think it is and then years go by and you find out that it's actually something else but that name sticks um same thing goes for syngoniums uh go by nephthitis um that is a mm-hmm, misnomer mm-hmm. nephthitis really? is actually a another aeroid um genus from africa um that looks similar I'd say kind of similar in a small juvenile stage. So when they found syngoniums, they were like, oh, this looks like nephthitis. We'll call it nephthitis. That was in the 1700s. It's now 300 years later, and people are still using that misnomer just because... Now, see, here I was. Now, obviously, I I, I do not have the higher education in plants that you do. I studied (laughs) business. You studied plants, and it's... I. Fair to say, Zach, it's pretty obvious who, who studied, which I mean, it's pretty <laughs> yeah, obvious yeah. Brett studied plants. But the whole the whole point being there, I always thought that Nepth, like that's, I was shortcutting, by using Syngonium, I was using the wrong thing and that it was Nephthitis in the same way that I thought Pothos I knew was the wrong thing, but it was supposed to be Epinep. Uh, I, epi- I do have a, I have a real Nephthitis in the greenhouse. So I'll show you sometime. Interesting. And they, they, Completely different growth habit. They don't vine. Um, they're rhizomatous, meaning they'll grow basically in the soil, um, so they don't climb. So they're terrestrial. Interesting. Um, completely different plant. Completely different. And they're from different parts of the world. All right. We're going to have to get yeah. into that. I can't wait for the video form, by the way. <laughs> we were going to do like what I initially had on the podcast scheduled for Brett, which he didn't know about yet, but it was supposed to be week four after we get cameras and stuff, specifically so we can do show and tell. 
and I mm. we have to be able to do show and tell with you. But we're gonna have plenty of these episodes. Oh, so yeah, there's a lot of stuff. That yeah, we yeah. Can show. And uh, Zach, I mean, you probably have just seen a numerous amount of things you could make a video on too. So um, oh yeah, people will definitely be waiting on that, and I'm excited to see what you guys collab and yeah. I mean, we do. could basically just walk in the greenhouse and. Oh, I hit yeah. record and you just do your thing. We have a few 30 minute episodes. <laughs> yeah. Brett is a wealth of knowledge. I love it. Um, do you have a question for, for Brett Zach? I do. Um, so we've heard your, you know, like general favorite type of plant, but what would your favorite plant to actually grow yourself? Like the process and everything. Like propagation, that kind of thing. Yeah. Good question, um, and it is something that I haven't done yet, so how about that? Um, orchids are something that are difficult to produce um, because when you pollinate orchids, and they do, so pollinating orchids in and of itself is a difficult task, um, but then when the orchids do produce seeds, um, Orchids are interesting that the seeds will only germinate if they have a symbiotic relationship with a with a fungi. Um, mm-hmm. So in order to get an orchid seed to germinate, t- to sprout, to grow, you do have to basically inoculate the seeds with a specific um, fungus that the seeds are so small that they don't have a germplasm, which is basically their storage unit of uh, starch, that they don't have enough energy to use that to then sprout themselves. So what they do is they they join up with the fungus and the fungus produces and gives that energy to the orchid seed to then allow it to germinate. And then at that same time, that orchid then provides a, a home for that fungus. Okay, I was gonna ask, because you said symbiotic, what what is the what is the fungus? taking yeah so the the fungus gets a place to live and in mm. return it gives the energy that the orchid needs to i guess to a start. welcome place to live too. exactly like the plant's not exactly ticked off that uh <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, yeah. that's got a little friend yeah it's a nice that's two-way crazy. street so it actually requires something it like physically cannot happen without that right and it's something that it's hard to do in a controlled environment like a greenhouse because in the wild, those fungal spores are, you know, blowing in the wind and they're there naturally where the orchids would be growing. But in the greenhouse, you have to go out of your way to not only find the specific fungus that it needs, but then be able to inoculate it and provide it that basically like very specialized situation for them to both grow. That's incredible. Also, yeah, that probably wasn't the answer you were looking for, Zach, was that? <laughs> well, no, that just kind of blew my mind, you know? Yeah, that, that's, uh, yeah I'm, I'm over here. I was just looking. I was, did, did we both not just look at you for the last <laughs> yes, three minutes yes. going, what is he talking about? But I also just want to point out the meta, if you listen carefully to Brett's answer on that, was his favorite thing to grow is something he has not yet done. Like, that's how forward thinking <laughs> you are, man. You're always yes. on what's next. You're never happy with what was what you did yesterday. Um, yeah, so I if I guess if you do want a favorite thing to grow that we are currently growing would probably be aeroids. They're easy and they're very rewarding just because they're quick. Um, and you can get something that you know starts at, starts out as juvenile and and goes through uh, another plant term for you is ontogenesis. So basically the ability to go from a juvenile to a mature form, they can go pretty quickly. Um, so to give you an example, or as most people call it growing up. Right. Okay. So, um, for, 
like an example would be Monstera, you know, if it was to germinate from seed or start out as tissue culture, it's not going to have any holes or fenestrations. And so right, right. then with time, as it matures, it'll get, you know, bigger and, and more holes to it. And so aeroids are fun to grow just because they are so rewarding as in you don't, you know, they're not slow and you don't have to wait to see the, uh, the product of your labor. Zach was shaking his head a lot more on that one. I feel like he was with you on that one. He's like, yeah, no, 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 that one makes sense. I like that. I like to tell myself I'm following along and then, you know, I'll, I, I'm picking up bits and pieces. You're going to ask but... a lot of questions after this is done, aren't you? Oh, yeah, 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 like, yeah. Can you go back to the other part? What was the thing? <laughs> yeah, we'll uh, have a whole recap session where we just recap everything that was gone over. All right. Well, I have two other questions that I want to come to at the end of the episode. Okay. But in the meantime, I wanted to go ahead and if it's all right with you. Um, I have a couple, I asked our Facebook behind the scenes group if they had any questions for you. Obviously we've had limited ability to introduce you so far. Um, Zach's going to be changing that pretty soon here. So that'll be fun. But, uh, I asked, you know, obviously with you being the new head grower for some questions and we'll go through, uh, the couple ones that I, I picked out here. So these are from, uh, listeners or customers in our Facebook behind the scenes group. You can search for it on Facebook, uh, Gabriella plants behind the scenes. Uh, Christina asks, fertilizer for aeroids, water-soluble versus time-released, or for that matter, normally you would compare water-soluble versus granular, and then obviously different forms of granular. Take your pick, pros, cons. All right. Well, Christina, that is a good question. I think ultimately it goes back to the user and the the consumer. Um, If you are someone who is slightly more lazy, um, granular is good because it's going to do the work for you even when you, you know, forget that you need to fertilize. Um, Water soluble is great if you keep up with it. Um, Aeroids can take a heavier fertilizer um, regimen than some other plants. Um, in spring, summer months, you could uh, fertilize, you know, s- um, small amounts every time you water with a water soluble. Um, it also goes back to what the strengths and the types of fertilizer you use. Yeah, I was going to say that. I mean, obviously, I have a, a limited kind of grower perspective, commercial grower perspective, just having grown up with the greenhouse in my backyard. But yeah, to, dosaging is going to be right too. And that's exactly. going to, it's hard for us in this context to give proper dosing instructions because all those products vary. Obviously we use NutriCoat in our greenhouses, but even there's multiple different types of NutriCoats, the amount that you use of a 180 day versus a shorter window of time that it lasts. If you're talking about time release, that all matters in how much you would apply. So you definitely want to exactly. read the dosaging instructions but no particular winner or loser for aeroids between the two i think that with the right mix you could safely use both and make the plant happiest okay so heard it from brett just get to fertilizing yep exactly the answer all right well there you are christina uh sarah asks what are the best and most effective ways to treat and prevent root rot now before you go into that let me say that and this is kind of saying my piece about it, sure. um, especially from having read so many customer emails. Um, it's important to also for them to know, and maybe you can show, you can talk about it, some of the signs of what would actually be root rot, because it's also tremendously shocking to a plant to go taking it fully apart at the second your leaf starts to limp. You right. can end up doing more damage to the roots that way, but obviously you want to know if you have it. Any suggestions? Okay, so root rot is not something that 
every plant just comes with. Root rot could be either um, fungal or bacterial and is caused basically by the roots not getting enough airflow. Um, so a lot of people will tell you that root rot is most often caused by overwatering, but the caveat there is it's overwatering mixed with not being able to dry out in time. Correct. So it's the overwatering, but really it's the staying too wet with the overwatering because Correct. you can overwater, but then if you provide, um, you know, bottom heat or, uh, a very airy substrate, um, it will dry out, and though you don't want to get in a habit of overwatering, um, it is really when the when the roots lose that ability to breathe. have the exactly that that's what yeah they got to be able to rot. breathe. I, I've talked about that a lot on the live streams because this is a, a common question about rot. Is just but that yeah the key is is you got to have the airflow, and that's one of the reasons why when I first kind of like got into the Facebook groups and and in the plant community like the number one thing being preached at you all the time is like you're overwatering you're overwatering like water less water less which is always like crazy to me because my dad spends four hours a day watering every single day of the week what do right. you mean don't water um but it's also recognizing that that was in 100 degrees in a greenhouse and a nursery pot has nine holes or so on the bottom of the pot so all of those factors not only what temperature your house is at or where you're growing your plants but also like you're saying is heat from under is there good airflow are there holes in the bottom of the pot exactly all of that really matters so good drainage is good for that airflow because you really need a way for the air to get there good drainage and good substrate i mean what the the the, the roots of the plant are you could say half of the plant but sometimes they're even more than half of the plant i i like to think of it like an iceberg you know where uh most of what you see is actually happening below the soil. Um, and so the care of that is just as important as making sure you have pretty leaves up top. Mm. And that's so a, that's a good, that's a good note. Uh, you asked um, signs to early signs or symptoms. Yeah, or ways to treat it, prevent it. Um, so uh, if new leaves, if old leaves are dying off as well as new leaves are not forming the way you want, um, usually that's a sign that something's going on down below. Um, so you do, you do need to weigh your options. It is stressful to the plant to, you know, unpot it every time you get a yellow leaf just to check on the roots. You know, you need, you need to make sure to not stress out the plant too much by doing that. Um, and then also for treatment, um, there are different types of, uh, if we're talking about other than drainage and, and airflow and right. things like that. Um, there is a, uh, an overall pesticide out there that doesn't require a um, a uh, pesticide license or anything. It's called Fizan, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and you can you can drench the soil as well as foliar spray the entire plant, and that is a pretty good preventative. Um, yeah. A lot of orchid growers use it. And, um, and what's interesting, and something that I'm sure you probably know, but maybe the listeners wouldn't, a lot of the pesticides. I mean, obviously they develop pesticides and fungicides and different things like that for specific things, but the way that these chemicals are getting so complex now, a lot of the pesticide that should really only treat things that are creepy crawlers. Yeah. Now have some active ingredients that are actively preventing the fungus and, and vice versa. You have active ingredients in some of the fungicides that are maybe not killing a bug, but are that much more of a, Hey, maybe this shouldn't be your next home, exactly. you know, kind of a thing. So I do think you, anytime you see the systemics out there, that word means something, um, at least to me, as far as it's actually going to become part of the plant and be a, a long-term solution. And it's not just a apply 
like you would spray a roach right. uh, to kill on contact, um, which I think is also kind of, if you haven't gone through pest management training and you don't know about treating houseplants, like we can do a whole podcast on that too, because oh, yes. you definitely don't want to do it wrong. Um, you can definitely hurt your plants um, by Absolutely. doing something wrong too. No, that would be a great future podcast, like uh, Pests 101. Pests 101, write that, that down, that. Sam. Mm. Or, I mean, <laughs> Zach. Man, Sam, Sam, if you're listening at home, yeah, write Sam, that down. we really miss you. Uh, I don't know how much longer I can do with this Zach guy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, all right. Uh, Susan, I've got three more listener questions. Susan asks, how can you best transition a new plant from the greenhouse environment to a home environment? Good question, Susan. Um, so I'd like to first say that uh, I do know that plants coming from Gabriella are going to be pest free. Um, so that's something you don't have to worry about. But if you are getting a plant just as a general rule from somewhere else and you're bringing it into your home, I recommend you quarantine it. Oh, we recommend we, our customers quarantine our plants too. Good. You, you don't want to take that chance. Exactly. We certainly do our best. And we've had, I mean, I can't, we've had really good, a really, good pest numbers which means no pests right uh in the greenhouse for the past couple months and uh yeah obviously we that's something we really strive for but you don't know and i mean even to experienced growers like us it, some are not able to be seen or, or whatever else right. so it's always better to isolate i 100 percent agree with you on that um so so not only are you gonna quarantine the new plant and keep it separate so you don't accidentally you know start a, a pest problem within your current collection but you are going to want to uh, provide slightly higher humidity most homes in general that don't already have a humidifier usually um, average humidity percentages are from 20 to 30 percent and most plants are going to thrive at about 40 to 50 percent uh I say thrive 40 to 50%, meaning they will gladly take and enjoy higher than that. Right. But, you know, um, that's kind of how you're going to get the best performance. Exactly. And you will want to give them um, as good of light as you can. Um, but nothing direct for the most part. For the most part, especially yeah. it, it, coming from a greenhouse that has, you know, um, our greenhouses in the summer may whitewash or it may not be, you know, direct full sunlight. So you are, oh, going, yeah. you're going to want to acclimate them. Um, and so I would say the best answer is baby them a little bit more than your other plants. I'd say for at least a couple of weeks. Um, and if you don't see any signs of, you know, uh, leaf crinkle or, um, leaf droppage or anything like that, you can slowly start to, uh, give them the same requirements that you are the rest of your plants. But that being said, um, your houseplants overall are still going to benefit with the best type of uh, treatment you can give them that does kind of replicate the greenhouse environment overall. But right. Get as close to greenhouse as you, as you can. But obviously, it's the winter months, too. Um, people are using... Uh, you know, artificial light at some time, but maybe, maybe just because I'm, I'm, I'm want to, I want to believe that Susan's question was specifically about not only the quarantining type of of things, but are there specific plants that you want to make sure you repot right away? Are there other plants that you want to make sure? You know, is there anything else that you would say is like a general general 101? Uh, obviously, people have a tendency to want to get rid of the nursery pot really, really quickly and go to something that maybe is more presentable in their homes. But I, obviously, I'm a fan of the nursery pot for the airflow reasons, for the fact that we right. grew it in that container. So uh, uh, you have to realize that, you know, at the end of the day, plants are living things. So not only are you taking it from the perfect conditions in a greenhouse that it's been used to its entire life to now 
putting it in a box for three to five to, you know, sometimes horribly 10 days, you know, in the dark, in the mail, in the cold, transporting it to your home that is now a new environment. Those are all stressors and plants relate to stress just how humans relate to stress. And so if you can wait those extra two to three weeks before you repot, that's going to inhibit that additional stress that you're putting on the plant. Um, And you don't don't want to take the chance on finding out later that that was the straw that was going to break that plant's back either. Exactly. Better to be safe than sorry, 100%. Right. So, I mean, as long as the plant that you're getting in is in a substrate that you think is fine, that the plant was previously growing well in, I mean, as long as that pot does have drainage, I would I would definitely wait at least, you know, two to three weeks for it to acclimate before you then go to repot it. I'm a fan of, I'm, I'm a big fan of decorative pots, but um, you got to think about the the plant's overall happiness. Yeah, and not not too much at one time, I think is the... And, and the same with fertilizer, too. You know, you can't make up for six months of not fertilizing by <laughs> six times in the dose, you know? Pre- preach, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, you can't do that, so I, I like that. Um, Chrissy asks, um, I'm curious about your opinions on TC. Any opinions? I'm very opinionated on this. Um, I know a big thing came up, I uh, want to say maybe a year ago, about uh, Ravidophora tetrasperma. Um, about oh, yes. The, oh, yes. As we were growing it then. Oh, the, I the, remember reaching out to you during that period of time. The internet, and the internet feels some type of way, but um, me as a plant person who, uh, in college, I did do work with tissue culture, and I think it's a very... It's a very interesting and amazing and innovative way of producing plants. Um, with working with tissue culture and with understanding tissue culture, um, I don't think there's anything negative about it. Absolutely nothing negative I, I agree about with it. You. Um, the the big point that people like to make is that there's a difference in how they look, but basically it just goes back to. You have to look at the age of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's just simply that juvenile. If, if you were to think of, this may be a weird comparison, but if you were to compare the arm of a baby and the hand of a baby and the hand of me, who is 26 years old. And you put those into a Facebook post next to each other. Obviously, they're going to look different. We are still both human. That baby's hand and my hand are still both human. And when that baby is 26, its hand may very well look identical to how my hand looks now. But it's it, so young. Exactly. Yeah. No, I. that is my biggest thing. And that was a lot of that particular plant's controversy was right. it wasn't showing fenestrations yet, which is a thing when you have a very, very juvenile plant. Exactly. And that's not their juvenile form. So, but the other thing I always add to this, and I'm just adding my two cents to the opinions about TC, because sure. we do get asked it a lot. It is a hot uh, topic at, at certain times. But my opinion is, one, it's the backbone of most of the house plants that people know of, whether they know that or not. Nowadays, yeah, absolutely. It, uh, yeah, especially in the 2000s plus. Like it once TC really got the hang of it. I mean, there are entire plants now that wouldn't be possible. Absolutely. That are not only not possible without the TC process, but are now being hybridized and recreated. And there are plants that we wouldn't have a chance of having on the market. And to produce in mass. Yeah, exactly. There would be no chance of you having that plant for under $500 a cutting if it wasn't for this process. The other thing that I always put on the TC thing, and this is my main disclaimer, is that it's still propagation. You're still you. letting plants do the, and I say this, plants doing the plant thing, 
like they're still the ones doing the work. It's not a CRISPR. You're not going in there and 3D printing, right. you know, the stem of the plant. It's not genetically machine. modified. It's no. still the same plant. No, I agree with that. It's the same thing. You're just doing it in a completely, I mean, more efficient, but you're just doing it at a micro scale and with chemical agents helping you keep it at a micro scale and, and keep it productive. But at the end of the day, the plant is replicating the cell. Like you said, baby hand, it's also growing the exact same, that, that baby hand will grow to be the adult hand right. the exact same way a TC plant will grow into to being a full grown plant. But I, I do think some of the issue with TC at times too has been, it wouldn't be the first time that wholesale commercial growers or some of the TC labs will mislabel something so I think a lot of times there's a lot of other problems that aren't really TC's fault that right. get kind of like just thrown into the basket with, well, it's probably the grower's fault or whatever, um, or it's TC's fault. I don't think that that's entirely fair to characterize it. Um, I agree with that. I think it's like a big backbone to what we do. Um, and by we, I mean the industry in general. Last question from customers. And then I got a closing remark for our listeners. And then we also have one last question with Brett that I'm going to try to ask all the guests as we have them on the podcast over the coming months. Um, last listener question though, Rachel asks, what are some of your favorite common or underrated plants? Now, obviously you're not a fan of golden pothos <laughs> for obvious reasons. Yes. That we've now learned, right Zach? Oh yeah. Unfortunately. Um, favorite common <laughs> or underrated house plants. I would just say underrated. I think, sorry for the dead air. Let me think about nah, this. No, it's Okay. This dead air brought to you by GabrielaPlants.com. You can go order your next houseplant. We'll ship I think it from some our fir- greenhouse to your house. <laughs> now you're just all over my spot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I think some ferns are underrated. I think ferns get a bad rap for being, you know, hard or finicky. But or I th- your I air quote grandma's plant. Right. Your grandma's um, porch plant. I think y- with all plants, you need to learn what they like and how to grow them. And I think ferns can be very rewarding if you kind of understand how they work and get into their rhythm. Um, specifically bird's nest ferns. There's a lot of bird's nest ferns, uh, new varieties coming out that have unique shapes to them and things like that. That can be very rewarding as a houseplant. I think that's one of the cool things now that we're like getting further in plant science, which I feel like is finally happening again. For the first time in a while, I feel like we had a little lull there of people <laughs> wanting to get creative with plants there for a minute. Um, but you are seeing a lot of people, yeah, like, oh, well, this one does it. This this one, you know, grows in a, in a twisted way or this one has a, you know, a kind of flared edge to exactly. it or whatever. And you're getting a lot more, not genetically modified, but a lot of intentional hybridizations and processes to try to create that. Like, well, what if it did both? What if it twisted and had a weird flared edge? You know, right. I, mm. I do think ferns are, are a huge part of that. And I, I also, to me... Ferns can range, having grown mainly Boston ferns in a big commercial way when we were when I was smaller and when I was little, but also ferns to me, a single species like family of plants has like the far end of like if you look away for 15 seconds, it's somehow dead when you turn back around. <laughs> and then also the like you can put it in the Florida landscape, it can survive 95 degrees somehow. And you can't kill it yep. and it's everywhere and you can't get rid of it once you planted it in the ground. So it's always crazy to me that ferns can be like the far edges of that. <laughs> and I, I'm sure there's other families like that, but ferns to me is like, you can have a maiden here over here that like wants to just cry 24 seven and you know, a plant, a fern that's been in the woods for, you know, decades and has right. never had a problem in its life. Yeah. I think the, uh, the other one, um, another underrated houseplant would be orchids. I'm just going to plug orchids again that, uh, 
again, people kind of lump them in as like, you know, really hard to grow or hard to understand, but it is something, and this isn't just the, your grocery store phalaenopsis that I'm talking about, but all orchids right. I think really, I think that also is something that should be said because most people do kind of connect phalaenopsis with orchids as orchids. Right. There are so many types of orchids. I've seen some of the orchids you've brought into the greenhouse. Have you been in the back, Zach, or the, to the back of the greenhouse <laughs> where the orchids are? Yeah, I took yeah. a walk back there the yeah. other day. Insane. Did you see the orange one? That was way one. Is it? It's orange, right? Yeah, yes. like it's, it's an it's an ascosendra, so it's it's a Vanda variety. So they actually don't want any soil. So it's in literally just a, a it's hanging in a plastic holder, basically with no soil or anything, and it is blooming. Yeah, it's wow. beautiful. But I I, just, I think that people always think of the grocery store one, and right. I think there's and yeah, it's continuing what there, you're saying about so many, loving orchids. There's but, so many other orchids out there. Um, the family Orchidaceae is the largest family of flowering plants, actually. Um, so there's wow. so many. Um, I currently have like 40 orchids in my bathroom at home right now. Um, <laughs> just in the bathroom? Just in the bathroom. Oh my goodness. Um, and so, I mean, those are those are plants that they can be very rewarding if you understand how how they grow. And with a lot of houseplants, a lot of houseplants aren't grown for their flowering qualities. They're grown for foliage. And so there are a lot of orchids out there that both have awesome foliage. But then also if you, if you grow them right, we'll, you know, um, provide you with amazing flowers, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. All right. Two things to close, Brett, because I, I do want to, we have a whole week to plan. Uh, <laughs> we're recording this on Sunday at the, the moment, but um, two questions. One, I know it's kind of a big question, but anything to be on the lookout for this uh, first quarter of 2021 or the, this year for new plants coming out of the greenhouses that you're now the head grower of at Gabriella Plants um, or anything else that you think people should know? to be on their radar from the greenhouse? I would say be excited. Um, just this week, I planted a new species of Hoya. I planted three new species of Monstera. I planted a new species of Pothos that is way cooler than your golden. Um, I did plant uh, a couple other species. And I mean, I don't want to give away all my secrets, but um, these are things that- Will they- you give away one secret? I guess then, the, then, it, then it wouldn't yeah, be a secret. No, but. The, the Hoya I'm really excited to get into production that I planted this week is Hoya obovada. Um, so oh, it has yes. really big uh, circular leaves um, that is almost looks like a Hoya carry, but it doesn't have any of the the shape of the heart exactly to it at all, just like a circle. But and it's thick, very thick, and um, those those are really cool. I saw I saw those on the on the bench when I walked past them. I was like, "Yes, that's awesome! That's awesome!" And so there are um, what we told our team on Wednesday. There's going to be at least thirty new species or cultivars that we bring into uh, into the market this year. Um, so wow! I'd say stay tuned. Yeah, I, I mean that's super exciting. Yeah, there'll definitely be people waiting with bated breath. Until and not, not Brett only tells are those, them the next thing. Not only are those 30 new species that are going to be new for Gabriella, but I look forward to bring new new plants through Gabriella that currently aren't in cultivation. So, you know, if, if you're listening to this first episode and, and you're getting your foot in the door here, I mean, these are new plants that we're going to be able to offer that no one else has, which is pretty cool. He just did a winky winky with his eyes. <laughs> Nobody else could dun, see dun, that. Dun. <laughs> Nobody else could see that. That was amazing. Okay, well. Now um, that we're reaching the end of the show here, I want to ask you the two questions I hope to ask all future grower guests or greenhouse people um, or plant people in general, which I'm, let me take a step back real quick. We call it the every plant story podcast. Now, obviously there's some internal 
reasons that all of us sitting at the table know what every plant has a story, why it's our 2021 theme and the things that our customers are going to find out about later in this year. But what does every plant has a story mean to you? That is a great question. Um, when I was in college, uh, I tutored um, both plant science and plant propagation and a, a course called he- Healthy House Plants. Um, and from the beginning, not only do I love growing plants, but I really love inspiring and educating people on plants and kind of getting them excited um, yeah, yeah. for what plants are and what they can do and what they bring and really everything about them. And so every plant has a story means a lot to me because there's just so much opportunity to share with both you guys, the listeners and the team members here on staff Um with everything that there is to know about plants. I mean, there's some plants that we grow here in the greenhouse that there's so much information about that I just think the everyday person doesn't really know. And so being able to share that and like I said, getting everyone excited, that's that's really that's really awesome. Yeah, and I think to me, obviously it means a lot to me, but I think to piggyback on, yeah, I think part of my thoughts are always about like, yeah, what are the stories of some individual plants and things like that that we can tell some of those exclusive or or first to market things and stuff like that. But also just the fact that every time, I mean, all of our customers have plants involved in their life and the stories that of how plants got into their life, like you shared at the top of the podcast or, you know, what, what, you know, what do they like most about it or, or why, why are you still taking care of that many plants a a year after the COVID restrictions are over and and everything? Um, I think that those stories are really cool. And, and also specifically, I think that for the most part, I think we're unique in a lot of ways, Gabriella plants is and what we do, but most of the people, the actual humans that grow the plants that the plant market buys are the same growers that have the wealths of information that all of us need, but that don't have a mechanism to actually be on a podcast or talk about like why epiphytes are, are cool or, or something like that. There's there's so much uh, misinformation out there as well that it's, um, I think it's a, it's a personal uh, thing for me that we need to make sure that the listeners and the consumers know what is real and Mm -hmm. uh what's what's valid and make sure that they aren't um you know misconstrued in in their thoughts of a certain plant so that down the road they kill a plant and they're like well the this reddit thread told me that this was how i i was supposed to do it like we need to make sure that the customers understand and have the ability to grow their plants to the best of their ability and i think down the road i'm also excited to figure out how i don't know how but how (laughs) how we better connect customers you know with, I mean, that's kind of some of the the point of the podcast is to be able to let listeners write questions. Let's answer some questions right. about um, water soluble versus granular fertilizers. I think that that those are the things that somebody like you, like me, growers that have that experience. I mean, that's what those listeners are looking for. You know, they want they want professional advice, and sometimes the professionals in the industry are the hardest people to actually hear what they have to say from. Instead, you get the blog post written by I don't know. Right. You know, and, and you kind of have to go off the Reddit post or something else. So, yeah, I'm really excited about that. But in closing, I'm really excited about everything. Every plant has a story will mean over the coming year. But and I'm excited to hear it in your own words. I have one final question. OK. What's your most embarrassing 
plant store because everyone <laughs> has them because yes. everyone thinks we're i just got through the whole like everyone wants to hear from the professionals <laughs> uh what they probably don't want to hear from the professional maybe they do um is that we fail at plants too with for sure with having a personal collection of over a thousand plants um and i've been growing plants since uh i mean since i was little but even just in the time of me uh really cultivating my own knowledge of plants and being able to grow plants inside and everything. Um, I have, I, I really hate admitting this on a podcast, but I have killed a couple plants. Um, it happens. <gasps> oh no. But, um, my biggest or most embarrassing plant fail is probably going to be, there is, uh, there's this one plant, um, called Wilwitzia mirabilis. It is a gymnosperm, meaning it is cone bearing. So like, uh, Pines are gymnosperms, things like that. Um, so this plant is actually native to Namibia um, in Africa. And it is unique to that it only ever in, enti- in its entire life produces two leaves. So wait, what? It in its entirety of its whole life only has two leaves. So it n- never will produce any more than the two leaves it starts out with. And th- those two leaves just get wider and longer with age. And hmm. there are specimens. What? Yeah. So there are specimens that they have in the, in the desert in Namibia that are estimated to be over a thousand years old. And so those two leaves are over, you know, a thousand years wow. old. And, <sighs> And so, okay. So, how is this an embarrassing story? Because right now you I have us convi- <laughs> right now you have us on the rabbit trail of like. So a- they are notoriously hard to grow, difficult to grow. They're they're an expert plant, and so um, I did order one a while back, and uh, in the process of me trying to understand how I could grow that plant in a you know indoor houseplant type environment, I was Which also I'm sure it was not happy about. In the slightest. Yeah, I was also in the process of moving, and so I did kill that plant. Um, <sighs> I know. I need like a... Uh, and so, it, it's also, it, it's saddening to me because that plant also uh, has a very hard time germinating. Um, so just to give you a little more background, so that plant is... Uh, Dioecious, meaning there are male and female Wilwitzias. So in order to, and because it only ever produces two leaves, you can't really do a, a division. You can't um, propagate that plant. You can't yeah, just you take can't a leaf cutting. Half and then exactly. Make one to two, two so to the four. only way to get more is through seed. So you also have to hope that you have a male plant flowering at the same time that you have female plant you then have to cross it you then have to get those plants to produce seed and then you have to germinate those seeds and the uh, another crazy thing about that plant is in the wild um the seeds are currently under siege by a uh a native fungus in the area that 99.3 percent of all seeds that um are produced in the wild end up being uh killed by this fungus so that's a that's a point was the fungus looking for the other plant that it was supposed to be helping was did, did, did <laughs> yeah, it get right. lost or on no, the way because no, this is different <laughs> fungus different fungus different uh, fungus. fungus but i mean so that's only that's 0.7 percent of all seeds end up being viable so then that basically adds to the rarity and oh you know difficulty of this plant. I couldn't so, imagine the pressure of like if any. That's what I'm saying. Oh my! So I, I do have another one that I'm currently growing at home, and so that it is definitely the plant that 
you puts know, the most stress on my life is because there's so few of these plants yeah. in the world. Well, you, okay, I just okay. In closing, though. <laughs> I've watched what Brett's done today, Zach. Help me out on this. He literally just said, like, I don't want to admit, I don't want to admit what, uh, you know, uh, the embarrassing plant story. Okay, so there's this plant that's extreme. <laughs> it's basically rare. you can't grow it. You basically can't grow it. It doesn't work. It does. Science doesn't know. Fungus are the problem. And um, but yeah, I failed at that once. Is that, yeah, is that that's what, his worst. Is that what you not just said? The most embarrassing story is that right yeah, there. Man. Yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna write it down because we're gonna have to make sure we like rephrase the question for next time he's on the podcast brett thank you so much for being on the every plant this was Story a pleasure podcast. um zach thanks so much for stepping in and co-hosting you, with thank me thank you yep and we will see you guys next week